Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, with the latest installment of the Housing Wire Daily Podcast, where I get to talk to editors and reporters about the most compelling stories and sources they're covering. Today, my guest is James Kleiman, the Managing Editor of our newsroom, and we have a lot to talk about. Before we dive in, here's a word from our sponsor. Why should you price your jumbo loans with PennyMac TPO? Is it the same great service you've come to expect with their conventional loans? Yes. Is it the competitive pricing they provide? Yes. Is it the fact that after closing, they don't sell off your borrowers so that you know they are in good hands? That would also be a yes. Get more information or price a jumbo AUS loan today at tpo.pennymac.com. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender. NMLS ID number 35953. Loans not available in New York. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Sarah, good to be with you. Good to be with you. And of course, some of the big news we've had over the last you know, 24 hours is just the fact that the Fed uh, raised interest rates. So please talk to me about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think pretty much everybody knew this was coming. There, there was no great surprise in what the Fed did. Uh, they met over Tuesday and Wednesday. And then on Wednesday, they did what pretty much everybody predicted, which is they they raised the federal funds rate by 25 basis points to 025 2.050 and uh, percent. And then that is the first time the FOMC has changed the federal funds rate in uh, in two years. And it's the first rate hike since I believe it was spring of 2018. And, uh, you know, they did this for the reasons that I, I think everybody is pretty well aware of at this point. Inflation is crazy. It reached 7.9% at the end of February. And uh, you've got other headwinds related to the geopolitical conflict in Eastern Europe. And it's uh, it's a day that I think everybody in mortgage and housing knew was coming. And, uh, and I think the most important news is that they're not going to stop there, that the Fed has given uh, pretty clear guidance that they're going to raise rates another six times in 2022. And they have another three rate hikes planned for 2023. I think that will probably maybe not ease concerns, you know, depending on which market you're in, like you have to be concerned about some of the larger headwinds out there, but, you know, economic markets like certainty and and knowing that the Fed has essentially said, here's the roadmap, here's what we plan on doing, should bring a little bit more stability to the financial markets. It's a great point. Um, Like you said, they did a good job, you know, letting, you know, signaling to everyone what was going to happen ahead of times. But still, I mean, uh, rising rates isn't always great news for for our audience, you know, those in the mortgage and real estate industry, because it just makes, you know, this housing market is already very unaffordable as far as rising home prices. If you add in some rising rates, you're definitely going to get people at the edges who are just going to be priced out. Yeah. And and I think if you were looking for a rate term refi, I don't know who's out there right now who would still benefit from one. I think that ship probably sailed at least a few months ago, and today it's 
It's um, it's in the bottom of a, a cove somewhere. Uh, if you're looking to do a cash out refi, you know, I mean, again, that's that's still a, a sort of a tricky product right now, even though home equity is at its highest levels in years, it's still, you know, it's, it's still a rate sensitive product, right? It's still a refi. And um, and then HELOCs, you know, the cost of HELOCs just went up given the Fed rate. And so, yeah, it's it's going to increase the cost of borrowing. And I don't think there is any two ways about it. To me, the million dollar question, or maybe the, the trillion dollar question, I should I should say, is whether this cools the purchase market, you know, and, and there are so many other big factors. It's, it's almost like, uh, you know, King Kong versus Godzilla here, you know, are, are rates going up to 4.5, maybe even 5%, you know, potentially, um, is that enough to cool uh, some of the larger macro conditions that have kind of led to this really uh, challenging purchase market for a lot of would-be homeowners? You know, speaking of the purchase market, you guys, um, your newsroom, and you've directed your reporters to really dig into what is it that lenders are doing in this purchase market to, you know, to be the first to the buyer, to find the borrowers, and also to, you know, develop products that are going to serve maybe some of the audiences that they didn't care about so much uh, before because they had so much low-hanging fruit, right? If you've got all those refis, you don't need yep. to worry about it. So um, we did have some news this week on, on non-QM. So bring us up to speed on that. Yeah, so you know the the low hanging fruit, those trees, they're bare at this point. There, there is nothing there. It's it's only the trickier uh, loans that that are going to be on offer. And for a lot of lenders, they're not new to the game, right? They've been doing this for in some cases decades, and and they know how to work in a market that looks a little bit more like 2019 than it does in 2020 or 2021. Um, but there are still going to be uh, major operational changes, I think, at most of the lenders out there. And that's because it's not easy. You can't just flip a switch and, and say, okay, everybody, like we're, we're going to go from a, an operation that was geared toward building capacity to execute largely refis. You know, and, and most lenders did about two thirds refi last year. And now you look at the inverse of that, right? And so it's going to look more like two thirds purchase. And some of those borrowers that they maybe otherwise would have relied on in, say, 2019, um, one, they're not looking for a house anymore, or two, you know, they're, they're borrowers that maybe don't neatly fit into that conventional conforming bucket. And so I think you're going to see a lot of different types of products. I think you're going to see a lot of lenders who are looking to, um, you know, try to find the well-qualified borrower who maybe would be tempted to you know, take advantage of one of the, the so-called power buyers and, and you know, be, become a cash buyer, right? And so how do you develop some sort of a product that is a little bit more like a bridge loan, right? Or, or some sort of financing, you know, related to giving them a better opportunity to win, uh, you know, a multiple bid situation in a market with limited inventory. And I think you're going to see a lot of others who say, well, maybe we just recognize that a lot of people aren't going to move in 2022 or 2023, they have a ton of equity. They probably already have more than 20% into their homes, you know, even if they bought it like a year or two ago, right? And so what do they want to do with their home? Maybe they want to make some improvements. Maybe they want to deck. Maybe they want to add, you know, a, a new master bedroom or, you know, finish a basement or whatever. So, so you're going to find products like that. And then I think you're going to see a lot more of the general non-QM uh, types of products. So interest-only loans, still relatively small percentage of, of even non-QM. But that's going to be there. I think you're going to see a lot of bank statement borrower loans, 
there are a ton of people who are self-employed in this country. You know, how many, you know, doctors and lawyers and, you know, people who have their own marketing company. My mother is, is a medical copy editor and, you know, she would, she would be one of these, uh, one of these types of borrowers who would be potentially looking for, you know, kind of a, a non uh, standard Fannie or Freddie kind of loan. And there are a ton of people like that out there. And I think a lot of the lenders look at the demographics and say, we need to do a little bit better in offering more products to people that aren't necessarily Fannie Freddie borrowers. So that's that's going to be a big push in 2022, probably in 2023. You know, I don't think the market is going to change that dramatically from where we are now, but I mean, who knows? I, I didn't predict the coronavirus pandemic either. <laughs> Come on, James. You are the seer. You're the oracle yeah. of uh, uh, Brooklyn or no, no Manhattan. So there you go. Um, well, so one of the things that, you know, we reported on this week was that UWM rolled out a bank statement loan. And, you know, if you're not, if you're not in the space, then, you know, I always get the the pushback from people like they just start panicking, like, oh my God, but it's for self-employed borrowers. And, and to your point, these are some of the most, um, they have the best balance sheets of, of some Americans. They're self-employed borrowers. They might have a lot in the bank. They, mm -hmm. They're just, they're non-QM because they don't fit conventional, but it's not like they're, a, this is a huge risk. Right. A bank statement loan for someone who's a self-employed can can be done in a way that's very safe and and is non-QM, but it shouldn't like set off alarm bells anywhere. Yeah, I, this, this is not 2006, 2007. We're not giving loans to, you know, a dental hygienist making $33,000 a year and saying that $750,000 house, I think you can make that work. You know, these are very well qualified borrowers who have usually very good cash flow or they're, they have seasonal types of jobs that, that bring them quite a bit of uh, earning power to the table. And so, what UWM is doing is they're they're looking at people who, you know, they they are they're very well qualified. They have a product that will basically give you a loan up to three million dollars and a ninety percent LTV. You know, they're they're not requiring mortgage insurance either, and and this is just one additional product that uh, UWM is taking because they they have a lot of competition for borrowers like this, and and brokers for the most part have had to turn to you know, the Angel Oaks and the, uh, you know, the other other kind of lenders in the non-QM space for borrowers like this. And it's it's been a real struggle if you've been a self-employed uh, potential borrower over the last few years. Trying to get a mortgage has been a huge hassle. You, you need to get a full audit and that can take months. It is very expensive to do it. It is, uh, you know, something that a lot of lenders aren't really comfortable dealing with. A lot of their staffers, you know, have questions. It, these, these are not easy peasy lemon squeezy types of loans. You know, UWM is a big company and, and I'm sure that they'll, they'll have the underwriters, they'll have the processors, you know, to, to handle it on that end, on the back end. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's a good, it's a good product for uh, brokers. And uh, I, I know that there are a lot of retail LOs who, who wish their their operations offered products like this too. So I, I think you're just going to see more of this in the space in general this year and next year. You know, James, speaking of uh, brokers and retail, um, I wanted to ask you about a story that you actually wrote, you know, how Instamortgage convinced top broker shop to, to jump to retail. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So there is a company out in California. It goes by the name Instamortgage. And uh, it, it used to be known as Arcus Lending. They did they did sort of a you know marketing refresh, I believe sometime last year, and uh, they're 
they're still a relatively small shop, you know, or Insta Mortgage originated a little under $800 million last year. And it's run by a guy named uh, Sheshank Shekhar. And he's a former mortgage broker himself who decided to open up his own shop and he does retail. And so they do a lot of conventional products and uh, they're very tech focused. And so they're looking to create, you know, I know it's a little jargony and, and people always say like, oh, we're, we're all, everybody's doing an end-to-end platform. They, they believe that they can automate a huge portion of the mortgage process from start to finish. And they've been growing pretty aggressively in, uh, in, in they're in 26 states now. They have just over 125 people now uh, with, with uh, the latest deal. And in this deal, AllCal Financial, which is a mortgage broker shop, also in California, they're going to be a part of Insta Mortgage. So they're leaving the wholesale space. They're no longer going to be doing you know, basically broker work, right? Uh, they're going to be on the banking side. And uh, and Jim Black, who is the founder of AllCal, the brokerage, he's going to lead product development, tech partnerships, sales growth. You know, he's going to be kind of one of the faces of the company. And um, and yeah, you, you just you don't hear a lot about mortgage broker shops moving over to the retail side. Um, I can't think of any big ones that have moved in the last few years. And uh, you know, for, for a lot of the reasons that you would expect, they. They typically say that they have a lot of choice that they can work with, you know, 60 something, maybe 70 or so lenders. They can offer all kinds of different products. They have, you know, they have control over their operations and, and all of that is true. I, I think in this case, you know, what, what Shikhar said is the value proposition for instant mortgage is look, we own our own technology. So even though UWM, uh, you know, has amazing technology, some of the best in the industry, if you're a broker, like it's not your technology. And, and if, let's say, you have to switch because of the, the ultimatum between UWM and Rocket, whatever, um, then suddenly you're using someone else's technology. And, and again, you don't own that technology. And so, you know, for, for instant mortgage, this was a main um, selling point to, to Jim Black and AllCal is, is you can be a part of this process. You can design, you know, uh, as much of the, the user experience as possible. And you have a lot more control over what happens when when you send a loan out to, you know, any of the wholesale operations. You're to some extent, as a broker, still very much at the mercy of the lender, you know, and, and making sure that they do everything right from underwriting to processing, you know, the, the whole portion of of kind of the, the loan that they control. And um, that's still, I think, something that was very appealing to AllCal, just being able to say, hey, we have a similar philosophy. We have a similar vision for how mortgage should be done. And it's very much about kind of, you know, having these touch points and being there with the consumer from start to finish. And and so they're they're going to be partnering up. And, and according to Shikar, you know, he said that a, a bunch of other big broker teams called him right after the deal was announced and said that they also were interested in exploring similar opportunities. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't necessarily think that this is a trend. You know, I, I do think that brokers are typically... Um, pretty close to the real estate partners or, or they have financial advisors or, you know, whomever else is as close as possible to the borrower um, or they just have clients from many years of being in the business and have a Rolodex. Um, so, you know, I, I think people say that it's still going to be the year of the broker in 2022 and probably 2023 when it's a purchase market and, you know, you're, you're not 
you don't need a consumer direct operation to to just you know bang up refi business. Um, but yeah, it's um it's it's an interesting development. I, I'd be very curious to see if there are other other shops that follow suit. I I, I think it really depends very much individually. You know how much um, you care about kind of ownership over the technology and the interactions with the borrower. Really interesting to me to hear that that's one of the deciding factors, right? Um, that wouldn't have been the deciding factor five years ago, seven years ago, right? But we're just in a different spot now with with technology and and how mortgage can use it and what that means to them and what that means to their business. So really interesting. We'll we'll keep an eye and see if any of those other uh, numerous shops that contacted him, you know, maybe that maybe that shakes out. But even if it's just one, I think it it's a really interesting story to read. And uh, thought you did a great job on that one. Thank you. Um, the other thing I want to talk about today was um, homeowner sentiment and housing starts and how those two things sort of interact together. So first of all, tell us what we saw on homeowner sentiment this week. Yeah. So let's let's talk about home builder sentiment. So it's um, it's interesting because there are these sort of um, two major points of interest for me when, when I look at it. And then the first is for the first time since September of 2021, Home builder confidence in the market for newly built single family homes dropped below the 80 point mark from uh, the, the National Association of Home Builders and uh, Wells Fargo's Housing Market Index, uh, which came out yesterday. And in, in March, the index dropped down to 79. And that's two points below the February reading. And that's the fourth straight month in which home builder sentiment declined. And, and it's for the same reasons that were true. You know, a month ago, three months ago, six months ago, nine months ago, a year ago, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's it's lumber problems, it's building material issues. Maybe somebody read a, the, the piece the New York Times did a while ago on uh, on garage doors and how impossible it is to find them, and, and that you can't you can't sell a home until you have a garage door in some places. So you know, it's it's all of that plus labor shortages, construction costs are still really high, and uh, and now we have higher interest rates that that they're going to have to deal with as well, and so. Although there are so many buyers in the marketplace, there's, you know, maybe maybe less supply than ever, and just as many buyers that are interested as ever. Um, you have all of these headwinds with, you know, supply side, just not being able to to meet that kind of demand. And so I think from that perspective, home builders are still very, um, very skittish, very nervous. Um, but on the other, they, you know, a seventy nine out of a hundred is still a pretty gosh darn good number, right? You know, no, nobody thinks that uh, that the home building industry is is uh, is going away, or that there are major headwinds that are going to force them to close up shop or anything like that. Maybe there are a few small shops here and there that maybe lose a you know a major deal or you know can't get a subcontractor or you know stuff like that. But but in terms of being able to sell a house, no problem there. Being able to build the house and get uh, you know the permitting done on time. Uh, different question, right? So the good news is uh, single family housing starts, which was released today, they hit their highest level since 2006. And uh, they dropped, I think it was 4.1% in January. But in February, they rose 6.8% uh, to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 1.769 million, uh, which is a very, very good number. And it's 22% above the rate recorded a year ago. And, uh, you know, that's Highly encouraging. So I, I'm, I'm optimistic that the builders will, will be able to get all that happens in the middle, right? So like 
having having a stake in the ground is one thing. Having a completed home that you can actually get the buyer into is a totally different thing. And there's a lot that happens, you know, in, in the space that they sign the contract, you put the stake in the ground and, you know, you hand over the keys. And, and I think that's really where, where the hangups are. And so um, too early to say whether the market has turned a corner there, but certainly if, if nothing else, it is very encouraging that home builders are, are uh, really starting to at least get more homes um, under construction. Absolutely, and you know, hey, let's go. Let's stop while we're ahead there. Let's stop on a on an optimistic note because <laughs> we have so much going on. But that really is uh, encouraging to look at and say, okay, we've got the starts, and you know, hopefully, some of these other things will resolve. But um, I know that the yeah, and, and in the you know the multifamily sector is also doing well, and, and so that includes apartment buildings and condos that rose nine point three percent to an annual pace of five hundred fifty four thousand, and that's the best rate since January twenty twenty. And so, yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely very encouraging, and and uh, you know we'll, we'll see if that does lead to you know enough supply to offset um, the demand. I, I doubt it. You know, I think it's going to take quite a few years to build out of the problem that we have. We just, we didn't build enough housing in the last you know, 10, 15 years. And, and you don't just, you know, fix that problem in a year or two. You can't just flip a switch on that. Well, what, what are you looking forward to? What are the reporters working on now that you could give us a preview on? Yeah. So we've got a story from, uh, from Matt Blake and it's, uh, it's an interview that he did with Rick Palacios, who is at John Burns real estate. And, uh, and they talk a little bit about the myths and misconceptions of the current home building market and some regional differences in building and, uh, you know, whatever else he has going on. And, uh, and Matt is also doing a story on, on kind of the future of building, which I think is going to be really exciting. And so we're taking a look at, you know, 3D printing companies. What, what have they done so far? What is the future? What kind of materials are they using? And, and ultimately, is this enough to offset some of the, the, the larger you know, kind of institutionalized problems with home building. And, and you know, that comes down to uh, NIMBYism and zoning and getting permits and, and all of the, the government regulations that have prevented uh, a lot of building. And, and so that one should be really, really interesting for a lot of our, our readers. And then we also have a story coming next week about redlining. And so I, I hope that everybody will stay tuned for that one. I, I think that'll be juicy. And, and finally, on the mortgage side, we have kind of a long lens look at which lenders are best positioned to succeed in a purchase market and uh, who, who might be staring down the barrel of a 12 gauge, uh, you know, when, when uh, rates are, as they look to be now, you know, over four and a half percent. Wow. Those are some excellent stories. I can't wait to read those. And uh, James, thanks for being on today and, and giving us a pulse of what's going on. Cool. Thanks, Sarah. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingware.com forward slash membership.
Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.